Welcome to Trained, a podcast exploring the cutting edge of holistic fitness. I'm Ryan Flaherty, the Senior Director of Performance at Nike. On every episode, I call up the world's leading experts and athletes to talk about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep. All the ways to train your body and mind. Today, I'm sitting down with the leader of the world's largest sportswear company to talk about pretty much everything but the shoes. Sport is one of the few things that still brings people together. Sport brings people together within countries. Sport brings people together across countries. Sport is the ultimate level playing field. Doesn't matter the color of your skin, your size, height, weight, sexual orientation. If you can play, you can play. You can compete viciously, but you play with a common set of rules. And at the end of the game, you shake the hands of your opponent. And so I think the world needs sport more than any time, maybe in history. That's Nike CEO John Donahoe on why he thinks sport and everything that comes with it matters so much right now. Turns out John knows as well as I do that the mental skills we need to lead on a court, and I'm talking trust, purpose, resilience, are the same skills we need to succeed at work, to find happiness at home, and to make a difference in the world. And as the head of Nike specifically, he's in a unique position to see those connections. Every day, he's coming to work and thinking about what sport can teach him as a leader and what, as a leader, he can give back to the game. I know this because I've been training him, quarantine allowing, obviously, for more than a year now. Today, we pick up where those conversations leave off, exploring the challenges of the 2020s, drilling down on why mental health is the real bottom line, and getting that cocktails with Kobe story we never knew we needed. Hey, John, how you doing? Good, how are you, Ryan? Good, good to see you. First off, thank you for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So as a CEO, you're not our typical guest, but you are the CEO of Nike, and you've been involved with sport your entire life. Could you just tell us a little bit about your history with sport, about how it's shaped you? Sure. Well, sport has always played a really important role in my life, Ryan, not just physically, but also in how I've grown and developed as a, as a person. My favorite sport growing up was basketball. Mm-hmm. And I was never the best player on, on any team I was on in terms <laughs> of talent or being a scorer or anything. But I feel like what I learned from basketball was the importance of fundamentals, mm-hmm. the importance of discipline and hard work, and the importance of teamwork. Mm. And those have been lessons that, frankly, have applied in all aspects of my life, particularly in business, right? Yeah. And so I, I went to Nutria High School in Chicago, and it was a big high school that had a very strong, systematic basketball program. And the freshman team ran the same plays as the varsity. And you had camps all summer. And so by the time you were a junior or senior, you knew the system, right? Mm. And you had discipline. And so we would routinely beat teams that had a lot more talent than we did because we knew the fundamentals. And we ran some of these plays that, that you had to trust your, your teammate. We used to do what we called turn and trap, that you're pressing your opponents to bring the ball to the court, and you drive them to the baseline to turn them, and then your teammates got to be there to trap. Mm. And so that's where that trust piece of teamwork, just knowing you've got yeah. to be there for your teammate and your teammates got to be there for you. Absolutely. You've got to presume trust when you're on a sports team. And I feel like that's been a really important part of my business career is this, this notion of the best teams start by presuming trust with one another, and then they build on that versus all sitting back and waiting till you earn trust. You presume mm-hmm. trust. 
When did you learn the importance of self-care for yourself as a leader? I will tell you, it took me time to learn so much of what you talk about in the five facets, which is the real importance of taking care of myself in addition to physically taking care of myself. Mm. So the role is sleep. I didn't, I, I used to, I used to be proud how little sleep I needed. <laughs> that was really stupid. I wasn't mm -hmm. helping anyone. Um, investing in my mental and emotional well-being. I understood that as a young professional, but I would say as I've grown more and gone into larger leadership roles, I've had to learn and embrace those things where I now treat them as seriously as physically working out, right? And they take work and discipline and fundamentals. The same things apply. So I think I understood nutrition and the physical piece, but the other three facets, I feel like I've have been in the last 20 years have just been more and more important. And, and it's the combination that allows us to have the resilience to get through, you know, challenging moments like this. Yeah. The more I get into the work of trying to get this to everybody, it's really interesting too. They all work off of each other. There's a synergy between all of those facets. When you talk about recovery, it's hard to talk about recovery without talking about nutrition and sleep, you know, and, and exercise. It's hard to talk about mindset without talking about the other things too, because they all kind of, you know, lean into each other. So yeah, I totally agree. Um, one of the things that I've really admired about you is you still very much seek coaching in a lot of areas of your life. And I know you're influenced by a lot of great coaches. Would you mind sharing a little bit of who are some of the coaches that you admire and, and why? I've embraced getting help, whether it's getting help from therapists, from coaches, from spiritual advisors, from, from uh, friends, family, anyone I can get help from. Yeah. And and early in my career, you know, some of my leadership role models were basketball head coaches, John Thompson, Phil Jackson, Coach K, Tara Vanderveer. And what I loved about basketball head coaches is that they were the ultimate definition of what I would call servant leadership, where it was not about them. It was about their players on the court. And their players were the stars. Their players were the people that were far better than they were. And what their job was was to get their team to buy into something bigger than just winning this particular game, to buy into trusting one another and working together as a team, and to buy into supporting each other through the ups and the downs of what it takes to win a championship. You know, I wasn't that good an athlete. I tried to be a decent <laughs> leader. But the lessons of sport and the lessons of these head coaches have had a profound impact on me. Besides sport, what other early experiences prepared you to kind of lead in a role like you're in right now, or even made you want to lead in the first place? You know, Ryan, it's, it's interesting because I, when I think back, I think my earliest role model was my father. And my father was a business leader, a very successful mm -hmm. business leader in Chicago where I grew up. And I didn't think of my dad as a leader. I thought of my dad as my dad, right? Yeah, yeah. But he would bring me to different meetings over the years, and I would, I would just notice certain things about how he operated. My dad was a person that um, did not have the word I in his vocabulary. It was always about the other person. He'd always, hey, Ryan, how you doing? How's it going? Tell me, you know, and, he, and, and I would just watch how people lit up around him because he focused on them, not on himself. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that was leadership. Yeah. And so I think these early leadership lessons, I didn't understand them as leadership, but I just watched how people responded. And I always said, you know what? I, I want to do that. I want to help people come together, achieve their potential, 
uh, have some joy in life. And that's how I yeah. came to leadership and this notion of servant leadership, where you're serving others. Mm. I, I learned that early on from him. Yeah, that's I love that. And that, that plays into a bit of what we talk a lot about here on the podcast around motivation, because we've had a lot of neuroscientists on, a lot of experts in motivation. What they always talk about is the only real motivation that works long-term is purpose. You're driven by your purpose to do the things that you're wanting to do and reach the goals that you have in your life. And that purpose is always in relation to how you serve other people. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. You know, people say to me, oh my God, what's it been like to have joined Nike in this first, you know, whatever we've been through in the last 15 months? And I, what I'm feeling like inside is I feel so unbelievably lucky to be here because of Nike's purpose. It is mm. the most purpose-driven organization I've ever seen. And the purpose to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world, to bring hope and inspiration to people in times of challenge, to, to do what we do is as good as it gets and has never been more important. And so every morning I wake up feeling grateful to be part of this organization because of the purpose, as you say. Mm. And that's the only way I think at least I and any of us can deal with you know, all the various challenges that have come before us over the last period of time. Yeah. And I, I was just on a, a call with one of your elite athletes um, <laughs> who was just talking about his perception of the purpose and impact Nike can have has been extraordinary, but it's even going to be more important in the future. And I, and I deeply believe that. So I, I just feel enormous gratitude to be here and be part of this incredible organization. John, you shared a story with me about a time when you came to a point of burnout. And I think it'd be really great for our listeners to hear. Um, you actually went on a retreat that was really impactful for you. Could you just tell me a little bit more about how you came to that? So after 10 and a half years at eBay, we did a transition, a succession. And then I was more burned out than I had realized. And so I did a 10-day silent Buddhist retreat, and that's when I really started focusing more on meditation. And this, this notion I've always had worked out physically, but I'll use you know sports language, meditation is a workout for your mind, and except yeah. it's not a workout, it's the opposite. You have to have the <laughs> same discipline, but the quieting down of the mind. And so it was a really important period for me because I got back in touch with my core purpose, which was serving others through servant leadership and trying to help others achieve their full potential. And I wanted to do that in a variety of different settings. You know, I wanted to be on the, on the proverbial playing field. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try to play with joy. I realized that when I looked back in my career, I'd, I felt like I'd had a fairly fulfilling and satisfying career, I was proud of what I had done in hindsight, but I hadn't really allowed myself to enjoy the moment in the moment, maybe as much mm. as I should have. I was sort of, I had this Catholic upbringing, right? The more sacrifice, <laughs> the better. And so one of the commitments I made to myself is I said, I want to try to embrace the purpose of servant leadership, but try to do it with joy, even through the ups and the downs. Mm. And so that's been put to good test over the last year. Yeah, no kidding. But it is. I get up every morning feeling gratitude. I do gratitude practice every morning. That's my form of, of meditation. Yeah, you kind of glossed over it a little bit, but a silent 10-day retreat, I mean, that is not, um, <laughs> that's not easy to do. I don't know if I could be silent for 12 hours. What was that 10 days like? You know, it was 
It was, as you said, Ryan, the early days, because you're meditating 12 hours a day, a, a mix of sitting and walking meditation. And it's dead silence through meals. Uh, we were not allowed to write. Wow. And the first few days, you have aches and pains, and you can't sit still, <laughs> and you know, an itch over your eye feels like a major event. Um, <laughs> but then my experience was, and I think everyone's experience different, there was that sort of gradual settling in and quieting down, and then also just a, a deep connection with spirit, soul, essence, whatever you want to call it, inside. Mm. It was a very powerful experience. I'd never meditated prior to that. Wow. Um, so you just jumped right into that. I did. From no meditation to a 10-day silent retreat. Wow. <laughs> and the next Nike board meeting, it was a board meeting that Kobe came to, Kobe Bryant. Wow. And so he did a talk, and then we went down and had a dinner that Phil hosted, and Kobe came down for cocktails. And at the end, he comes over to me and says, I want to talk to you. I read you did a 10-day silent retreat. <laughs> he said, I do meditation all the time, and I think it makes a huge difference for me in the court. It may be as important as my physical training. Wow. So we got in this intense conversation on meditation. That's amazing. He said, I want to take the last second shot. I want to take the last second shot when the game's on the line. But if my mind is not present, if I'm thinking about whether I'm going to make it or miss it, if I'm distracted, I'm going to miss it. Mm. If I'm quiet in my mind, if I'm centered, and I'm not thinking about if I'm going to make it or going to miss it, I'm going to think about being in the moment, odds are I'm going to make it. Yeah. That was really a kind of an opening of a new chapter for me. When we come back from the break, John and I get into why mental health matters on and off the field, how sometimes it can take a village to make a family work, and how sport can bring us together in times of division. If you're enjoying this episode of Trained, here's some good news. You'll find more wellness expertise every day on Nike.com, the Nike app, the Nike Run Club app, and the Nike Training Club app. You can learn more about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, and you can get started on a workout as soon as you finish this episode. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, and I know that's something obviously you deeply care about. How did mental health become a priority for you? Was it that moment after eBay or was it you know, a different time in your life where you really understood the importance of it? It was far earlier, Ryan. It was actually, it was actually in my early 30s. My two young kids, a growing career, and I was having anxiety attacks, mm. like almost out of the blue. And wow. so I talked to a, a professor of mine from business school who connected me to a therapist with whom I started a relationship for the last 30, I guess, almost 30 years. Wow. And sometimes we get together once a week, sometimes once a month, sometimes once a quarter. It's been a, a long-term thing. And then other therapists and coaches and spiritual advisors, as I said, have all been contributors to the ongoing journey of mental and emotional health. And it's it's hard work. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine, at least in my case, working my way through life and all the, all the opportunities and challenges of family and raising kids and career and dealing with all the issues in the world without that. Yeah. And so I feel very blessed on that. And again, I told myself it's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness to embrace 100%. that kind of help for mental and emotional health. And I, I just think uh, there's never been a time in my adult life where it's more important 
for all of us to feel the freedom and the latitude to be able to embrace help like that because we're going through mm-hmm. incredibly challenging times for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, asking for help is so important, but it's, it's not easy. And I, I really admire your ability to do it. John, as a leader of such a large organization, how do you get that value to cascade? All I can reaffirm, Ryan, is how important it is. I just think about Nike, and I'm going to call it our family. Mm-hmm. It's not just our organization or our team. It's our family. And I think in moments and periods like this, we're so lucky to be part of a family and to be with and support each other. And I think that's one form of supporting each other's mental, physical, and emotional health. And I think mm-hmm. about all the, all what's going on with the pandemic and the racial and social injustice. I mean, even to this day, um, the hate crimes going on affecting different communities yeah. around the world. And the, just the stresses people are on working from home, often homeschooling and relatives that have had some sort of physical impact of COVID or other things. And so community and family and being there for each other, not just functionally at work, but also holistically being there for each other. I think that's a really important part of Nike's culture and of who we are and what we want to be, and we're fortunate. The employee assistance program we have here at Nike that can enable any colleague or a family member of mm-hmm. a Nike employee to get to get access to great professionals of all different kinds. And and so we're trying to just encourage and say that's a sign of strength, not of not of weakness. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, right? And so I think in these moments, this concept of community, helping each other, and then getting professional help of the kind you need are really important. And so we're sort of starting first here at home inside our own family, inside our own organization, and then also representing that out in the, out in the world. And as you said, the elite athletes who are our heroes, they practice it, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the high-performance teams we hold up, they, they practice that notion of unconditionally supporting uh, and, frankly, loving each other. And I just think yeah. we're in a moment where that's never been that's never been more important, and we have to remind ourselves and remind each other. The one last thing I'll say, Ryan, that just comes to mind is one of the hardest things is when you, when you need it most is sometimes when you're least aware of it. <laughs> I know that's true yeah. with me, right? Yeah. It's easy to talk about it, but when, when I'm in a bad way, when I'm, when I'm starting to zzzz, you know, um, I can't sleep as well. Yeah. My brain is getting stuck on certain things, or I feel numb, or I feel the symptoms. Sometimes it's hardest to recognize that I need the help when I need it most. And that's when family, friends, and colleagues can be the most helpful. And so Absolutely. I just think it's a really important moment in our society and a really important moment for our extended family at Nike to make sure we're there for each other and encouraging each other to get the help we need. Yeah, that's great advice. And I couldn't agree more. And it leads me to where I wanted to go next, because I think for a lot of people, you know, the idea of partnership and family and community is so important. And listeners may not know, but your, your wife is a bigger badass than you, uh, with all due respect. <laughs> you know, former ambassador, human rights leader, professor at Stanford, lifetime of powerful work that she's done. What I wanted to get into with you guys a little bit is because you both have such incredible careers in your own right. Can you just talk about some of the early challenges you guys face and how you guys dealt with that together? Well, the first thing I'll say, Ryan, is you had it right when you said she's a 
bigger badass than I am. You know, I, I say all the time, we, we raised four perfect children. They have their mother's looks, personality, and brains, and they have my height. But I was going to say in all seriousness, but that was serious because they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but early on, we just committed to some form of partnership where we said we wanted to be a good spouse, a good parent, have fulfilling careers and and ideally fulfilling friendships in life. A helpful thing was the concept of life balance wasn't a word back then, because I think life balance suggests an end state that maybe is unrealistic. And so it wasn't a notion of, oh, there's some perfect balance. I'm not sure we've ever felt there's perfect balance in every dimension of our lives, but yeah. is the combination of what we're doing, one we feel has integrity and we feel good about. We wanted to be good parents and have fulfilling careers and have friendships and that you never get it perfect, but just the, just the conscious effort of continuing to try and caring about it may be one of the most important things. Mm. And our kids would tell us that. They was like, you know what? We always knew it was really important, and that's what matters. Second, reaching out. I can't tell you the number of times community members and extended family would help, whether it was a challenging period with one of our kids or with ourselves or whatever, that this, the sure. community and others and, and reaching out. You know, there was some stage where it's sort of like everyone's trying to be the perfect Christmas card picture. <laughs> and that's not what family life's like, right? That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe no. once a year you can get the kids to wear the sweater for the picture, but that, <laughs> we didn't even have that period. And so instead of trying to sort of have this notion that it's the perfect Christmas card picture, you know what? Life's messy, family's messy, career's messy. So let's embrace the messiness a little bit and then, and then reach out and be part of a community and help each other, help others and have others help you. And then enjoy the little moments of joy. Hmm. This notion that somehow joy is a continuous thing or that life balance, you've reached some, some plateau or something, <laughs> that that's not how it works, yeah. you know? But there are little moments of joy. Let's use sports where one of your children scores a goal or makes a basket or, and it's even more joyful if they're not a very good athlete and that happens, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> but there's so many moments in a family, families can be crazy sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. But there's these little moments of joy just to appreciate those and embrace those. And those become the, the soul food and the soul fuel that allows you to continue going on. And so, I don't know, we feel very blessed through this journey. I will tell yeah. you, we never were certain we were doing it right along the way. There wasn't one moment where like, oh, we got this figured out. It was <laughs> usually like, oh my gosh, are we doing this right? You know, what do you think? Yeah. And we talk about it. And, and I don't know how we could have done it doing what so many families are doing this last 15 months, working sure. from home with young kids, often schooling the young kids, often with relatives in this environment. I have so much empathy for just literally millions of people around the world that are balancing career and family and everything else in this environment. Yeah. And so I have enormous respect for the challenge it represents and the incredible courage that so many people are demonstrating. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, no. And well, it's good to hear from you that uh, it's you never figured out because having two kids and just, you know, seeing my wife and all that she does for our family, it's pretty incredible. And I want to get back to Eileen because, you know, being part of such a power couple, I'm sure she's really taught you a lot over the years. So what have, what have you learned from her? 
Well, you know, Ryan, one of the things that Eileen's been a wonderful role model for me on is empathy, compassion, and presence. I'm uncomfortable with being uncomfortable sometimes, right? You know, a kind of kind of sure, e- yeah. extroverts notion. Of, well, I'll just talk a little more, or I'll just <laughs> I'll just go yeah. do a task, right? Or I'll to take my mind off of it. Eileen's got this ability to sit in the moment, including sitting in the moment of discomfort, right? When when a kid's going through a difficult moment, her ability is just to be present, or a friend, just to be present. And with compassion, absorb some of the, some of that, the pain, the suffering, the, the whatever difficulty that individual's absorbing, and not be afraid of it. Yeah. And then through the power of through sitting through that and being present through it, how it gives strength to the other person without saying a word. Like I would have said fifty sentences. <laughs> She'll just be there, and so. Um, I don't know, the power of presence, the power of silence, the power of empathy, the power of compassion, I feel like are all things I've, I've learned. I'm still a novice in many of those, but um, she's been a real role model for me in those ways. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, I can resonate with that with my wife as well. So, so what you're saying is we shouldn't just try to fix it right when they start telling you things. Right? That's, <laughs> exactly. She's like, stop trying to fix everything. Just listen to what I'm saying. Exactly. I totally can relate to that. So John, obviously, you know, we've covered the pandemic and everything people are going through. Why, from your perspective, do you believe that sport is so important for the world right now? Well, Ryan, I've said this many times before, but the reason I joined Nike is, is very simple. There's no period in my adult life where the world's been more polarized than it is today. And sport is one of the few things that still brings people together. Sport brings people together within countries. Sports brings people together across countries, right? The Olympics, uh, World Cup, and others. Sport is the ultimate level playing field. doesn't matter the color of your skin, your size, height, weight, sexual orientation. If you can play, you can play. What is really important is sport plays with a civil set of rules. You can hate your opponent. You can compete viciously. But you play with a common set of rules, and at the end of the game, you shake the hands of your opponent. And so I think the world needs sport more than any time, maybe in history, certainly in my life. Yeah. What we do, I think, is so important, and it goes beyond just sport. It sets an example of what's possible, giving hope and inspiration to people all over the world and bringing people together where we set aside our differences. And for that moment, we're together. And I think Nike's done a really nice job over the last over the last 15 months of giving moments of hope and inspiration the storytelling and creative inspiration of this company is just remarkable and i feel so proud to be part of it yeah i love it well john i know how valuable your time is so thank you so much for spending with us i know our listeners all over the world are going to you know really appreciate you sharing what you shared so thank you and ryan i want to thank you personally what your listeners may not know is i showed up at this place um, thinking I was in decent shape, but not really. <laughs> and you helped me in two ways. Uh, one, you took me on as, uh, uh, as your personal project, and I'm deeply appreciative of that. But also your five facets of sport have been, you just captured something in such a powerful way. And I think the work you do and your purpose 
and bringing that to life and sharing your lessons from the elite athletes with all of us, you're having a wonderful impact and, and you're certainly a source of hope and inspiration to me. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate that. Good stuff. Well, now you know, I get completely flustered when faced with a compliment, but I took a few deep breaths, pulled myself together, and I think I can talk again now. And that's a good thing because John gave me a lot to reflect on. The way he speaks about leadership as service is right in line with my philosophy on purpose. And that philosophy isn't just for trainers, coaches, or CEOs. Even the athletes on the floor, the really great ones at least, can trace their motivation back to service. They're doing it for their family, they're doing it for their team, or they're doing it for the fans who count on them day in and day out. It was really powerful to hear someone in John's position speak frankly about his own mental health. To hear how he attributes success to a willingness to ask for help from others and to accept it. Together, these ideas paint a picture of how John defines success. And it isn't some heroic seated portrait of John the CEO. Because it's that kind of community, that giving and receiving, that gives success any meaning in the first place. Next week, I'll be speaking with therapist, author, and podcast hero, Nicole Sachs, who tells us that while chronic pain is not in your head, its solution just might be. This has been Trained. Talk to you soon. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trained, help us spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast. That way we can keep making great episodes for you to listen to. And it helps other people find us too. If you've got a question for me or my guests or a topic you'd like to see covered, email me at trained at nike.com and I'll see what I can do. Thanks for listening to Trained. Just a reminder, always talk with your doctor before starting any training or nutrition program. The information we provide isn't a substitute for any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the individual opinions expressed here are just that, opinions.